Well, as a child, I remember wanting nothing more than to just be able to draw a really nice picture. Maybe some of you had that same experience. I had all these friends that could sketch, you know, just open up a piece of paper and just, you know, the person who could always drive the, draw the perfect circle, we always hated that person. But all my friends seemed to have this ability to draw something. And I could barely get out a stick figure with it making sense. You know, your head's in the wrong spot, your arm's too short, things like that. So what do those of us who cannot draw by hand do? Well, we trace, which means to get by, I would put a normal printed picture under my other piece of paper and I would just trace the outline and you would claim that as your own and everybody knew it wasn't, but they didn't say it because they liked you. So I I can stand here confidently and say, I am someone who needs to trace, okay? I've come to deal with it. It's okay. I'm not even ashamed by it anymore. If I want to draw a really nice picture for you, I'm going to have to trace a picture. But more importantly than that little introduction, I'm also standing here in front of you saying, I'm someone who needs a perfect example to follow in my life. Far more important than drawing pictures for one another is that we need to present ourselves to God, holy, blameless, righteous as his people. We can't really do that on our own. We need somebody to follow, just like I used to need a picture to trace. We all need someone to follow. I hope you can understand where I'm coming from. And I'm convinced that every single one of us I am not alone in this, and I'm just putting you in there whether you agree with me or not. We need a perfect example to follow. We need a perfect example of who we are to become if we're to become that which God wants us to become. You see, we're all broken and in need of repair. Every one of us is broken and in need of repair. In the beginning, God, he created us in his image. Perfect, blameless. And then he placed us in this garden of paradise But we made a mess of things. We rejected his authority. We rejected his commands. We thought uh, that we knew better. He has this life-giving plan for our lives, but we thought, no, forget that. We'll, We'll take care of our own. So we charted our own course. We drew our own maps. We thought that we could just depend on our own power to figure it out. God knew that that these lies of Satan and sin would destroy us. And so although we walked away from him, started to sketch our own pictures, started to say that we knew ourselves better than God knew us, he sent a rescuer. He sent a savior, that's Jesus. And this savior would defeat our greatest enemy. He would restore the world back to its original beauty. In fact, he would go beyond that and restore us back to our original beauty. The Bible says this is how we know that God loves us. That while we were still sinners, he sent Jesus in to rescue us. Although we were walking away from him, rejecting him, angry with him, at odds with him, he still came to seek us. And think of it like this. God has given us this perfect picture to follow in the person of Jesus Christ. That's what Paul is getting at in Ephesians chapter 5. We started Ephesians in January, so I'm pretty excited that we've hit chapter five. Two more chapters, and we'll be done, and we'll move on. Paul says to this young church in the ancient city of Ephesus, which was in the middle of the Roman Empire, surrounded by people who were not like them anymore, because they were Christians, imitate God. Well, that's a pretty high calling. I can't even draw a circle, and you want me to imitate God. There's a problem with that. But God has given us this perfect picture to trace with our lives. So we can become who he commands us to become. 
I know many of us are often confused about what we should be doing in life or what we should be busy with or not busy with or invested in and not invested in. But I want you to encourage you to know this, that God is not confused. He knows what you need and he's given it to you. So let's say you're here and you've struggled. Like not a minor struggle, like you had to walk to church, right? Because nobody should complain about that. Let's say no one got it. Let's say you came here today and you struggled with sin. Let's say you're in a, a valley, which means you've done things and thought things and acted upon things and thought of things that you should not have thought of. And they began to uh, build up and these heavy burdens of guilt and shame. If you're here today and you've struggled hard this week, I want to encourage you that you are in the exact place you need to be because every one of us has done the exact same thing, myself included. I don't get to omit myself from the teaching of the word of God just because I'm two feet higher and I have a microphone. I am right there with you. But I also want to encourage you that God has promised, like the song that we read, God has promised that he will see us to the end. He's already given us the promise that those whom he, have already, whom he has saved, he actually will see to completion. And friends, that promise has nothing to do with how you act. It's not dependent upon you. It's dependent upon him. That's why the Bible is so true. That's why the good news of Jesus Christ is so amazing because it's all dependent upon God's grace. God has promised to everyone who believes in Jesus Christ for their salvation, as their Lord, as their Savior, that they will be transformed into that perfect image. That's a big promise, which means you will conquer that sin that plagues you each and every day. You will continually desire to seek after him, even on the days you don't feel like it. And one day you will experience this eternal life of perfection with Jesus in your sinless body. There will be a day where there will be zero trace of sin and evil in this world. Paul wrote this, the same author of this letter wrote another letter to a church in Rome. It's called Romans, the book of Romans. And here's what he tells them. And we know that for those who God loved, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and those whom he predestined, he also called and those who he called, he also justified and those who he justified, he also glorified. The future of the Christian is clear. God knew you before the foundations of the earth were laid. That's what the Bible says. Before the sun was in the sky, God knew you and he knew he would call you and he knew he would save you. And then he knew he would clean you up and send you off to walk in newness of life and an empowered Holy Spirit. And then he knew to all those who he had saved, he will glorify, which means he will raise up on the last day, perfect body, perfect world, restored to the original creation with no sin. He already knows this about your life. You see, and we live every single day like all of that is dependent upon how we've acted. That's not the gospel. That's not good news for anybody. Because I have failed this morning before I got to church. And if my future eternal state with Jesus is dependent on my Sunday mornings, let me tell you, I'm in a lot of trouble. Don't ask my wife. Just come to me and talk about it, okay? But our future is clear. There will be a day we will be perfected. So, then you say, John, that's fantastic, great. Well, I'm stuck in today, so what do you got for me? Well, Paul's got a lot for you. I don't have anything for you. But he says, 
Here's how we're to walk as we await that day. Some of these verses seem quite discouraging because we can see ourselves in these verses. We know we were here. We've done the things Paul says not to do. So the question is, what do we do today? How do we resist being that person tomorrow? What about next week? And then the next week? Well, friends, I, I've said this a few times before at our church. What I do believe to be true about the Christian life is that nobody is ever going to one day discover this magical chest of God-given talents that you just find and everything's going to be great. You're, you're not to seek out this weird magical stuff in life to say, well, one day I will be like the person I need to be. Listen, the Christian life is one step after the other, not even one day after the other, one step after the other. For some of you, you're like, a step's too big. One half step after the other. It's one thought after the next. It's one deed after the next. I don't want you to store it all up and say, well, one day it's going to be okay. One day I don't have to live like this. One day I'm going to just stumble upon this magic God-empowered life thing and it'll be fine. That's never true. It's not going to happen. So if you are that person that has to take one step in front of the other, man, thanks for being here because you make me feel better because that's my life as well. One step, one decision, one thought, one act after the other. And Paul writes to the letter, uh, a letter to the church in Ephesus. In the first service, I said he called them, which kind of shows you what you know, culture I'm from, but he wrote them a letter. He did not text them. He did not call them. He did not message them. He wrote them a letter. And in this letter, he encourages them in three ways as they live their life. In Rome, surrounded by darkness, this little fledgling church in this ancient city of wickedness, here's what he says. Walk in love. There's three things that we're going to cover. Walk in love, walk in light, and expose the darkness. Now, not all of those verses are what they're about. So some of those verses are for next week, clearly, that Steve read. So we're going to focus on verses 1 through 14. I thought, I guess I could figure that out as I go. But we're just going to stick with what I have written. I'm ready to cover those three things. Until that day where we are perfected, we're going to trace. Amen? We're just going to follow the perfect example. And there's three ways when we do that. Walk in love, walk in light, expose the darkness. So the first one, walk in love. Here's what he says. This is Ephesians 5, 1 and 2 again. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Paul encourages us to walk in love. Same kind of love, the same aspect of love that God has for us. You know, as a child, you know, mimics the mannerisms of the father or daughter, a mother or friends start to mimic each other and they look similar. So we are to imitate. We are to mimic who God is. And Paul encourages us to walk in love, the same kind of love that Jesus displayed for us when he died on the cross to save us. Now, for God so loved the world, he sent Jesus. So God loved us even when we didn't deserve Jesus. But what I want you to see is that if you want to know what that looks like very practically for God to love you and for us to imitate that, it's to look at Jesus Christ hanging on a cross. That's where perfect love is displayed, right there. And I have one point about that. This means that the love of God is most powerfully displayed among us when we love without conditions, because that's what Jesus Christ did. See, no one deserved Jesus to come and die for them. I know that you're amazing, and we all think so too, but you're not that amazing. You didn't deserve what Jesus did for you. 
was because God is love. It's because he is gracious, because he is merciful. It's because he foreknew you and he called you and he had this all planned out. Great. So we're to display that love and that means to love without conditions. Now, fake love, the opposite of real love, is only given when there are conditions, meaning I only give when I get. I only give when I first get. That's not how God loves us. We're all guilty of acting and operating in that system of love, like more than once. We're just all guilty of it. Love without conditions. And if you think that if you default to loving with conditions, this fake sense of love, what if, what if God treated us like that? What if God said, I will love you when you've given me enough, right? You come halfway, I'll meet you in the middle, we'll take care of it from there. That's not what the Bible says, ever. That's religion. Religion is demonic. The Bible does not preach religion. It preaches good news, that God has done everything in your place, and by faith, believing, active belief every single day upon that, you can be received. You can stand before God, you can be cleansed, you can be forgiven, you can be set free. What if God loved us with conditions? That would be devastating to us. We would probably be angry because we'd fail too much, so it wouldn't work. We would be shamed. We'd carry around a lot of guilt because we're never measuring up. We'd probably be uh, sad, but maybe even the worst out of all that, we'd still be condemned. We'd be damned. That's the harsh word for condemned. We'd be damned we would still be on our way to an existence without God. That's called hell. God doesn't do that. He says, although you deserve all that, I'm going to love you. And it's based on nothing you've done. I'm going to love you because of who I am. I'm going to love you without conditions. God loves us before we had anything good to offer him. God loves us even though we rejected him. And here's the key for us today. Here's what gets us to that next step you need to take. God continues to love us even when we fail him. That's very surprising. There's nobody else like that. We've all failed to love people the right way because we get offended when people fail us and we don't always respond with love, but this is not who God is. See, God loves you even when you fail him. And these are the types of truths that begin to change the way you think and the way you operate and the way you live. Now, let's say that we take love without conditions. Let's say, okay, we're going to imitate God. We're going to love without conditions. What does that mean? What do I do? What do I do with the person sitting next to me? What do I do with the person that I don't want to see tomorrow? Because I have to see them every day, and I don't love them. How do I love the people that have been mean to me? There's a few things that we need to consider about loving without conditions. Number one, walking in love, loving without conditions, means forgiving those who sin against us. I am convinced, maybe this is personal experience, or from just hearing a lot of stories, which I'm blessed to be a part of, forgiving someone is the absolute hardest thing to do. We just hate it. We hate it. Well, because we want our pound of flesh. We want suffering because we've suffered, so they should suffer. We, we want them to experience what we've experienced. We want all these things because, I don't know, we just deserve it. We're that important, right? That's not how we are to imitate God as the church. If you think that the Christian life is hard, you are right, so you're welcome. You're right, 
because it's utterly different than anybody around you. It's just different. That's why God has said, I have, I have bought back a people and I'm going to make them holy before me and my kingdom is gonna spread through them. And just like this little church in Ephesus was stuck in the middle of the Roman Empire, it was a large city, like the sixth largest city, but the most wicked of all the cities. We could go through all the historical data. We did that early on in the year about what made up this city of Ephesus. It's way worse than what we experience today. But he says, I'm going to save you and I'm going to put you right in the middle. And you got to be different. You got to imitate me. And that means we forgive those who have sinned against us. That doesn't mean you got to hang out with them. You just got to forgive them. <laughs> yeah, that made some of us feel better. Second, walking in love means extending love without conditions. We've talked about that. I cannot talk about this enough. We are to love others without requiring that they first do something great for us. And then third, walking in love means self-sacrifice. Be careful if you're only loving people based on what you can get out of it. We've all, fail, we've all failed at that point too. But if we're to imitate God, we're going to love people the way Jesus loved us. See, that's why, you know, God really doesn't need us. It's a weird thing to think about. We're taught and we think that God needs us. But you see, if our God is Father, Son, Holy Spirit, he existed forever in eternity in perfect harmony and union with that relationship. God doesn't need our love. He doesn't need us to accept him. That's language that's going to make some of you feel weird. He doesn't need us to accept him. Walking in love means self-sacrifice. That means all of that being said, God did everything without benefiting. He gave up his son. He gave up his son to the point of death. And so if we're to imitate God, we're not going to require things from people before we actively Love them. And this is the pattern we are to follow. This is the outline we're going to trace. Now, walk in love. That's really, we're going to imitate God in that way. We're going to do it. We're all jacked up. We're encouraged, right? Tomorrow's going to be so much better. Right. We want it to be better. But then there's this thing called verses three through eight. And Paul gives us this warning. Now, here's how I want to go through this. There's going to be a warning about counterfeit love. So we're to walk in love, but then Paul follows up with those two verses and he tells us what we are not supposed to do. And here's what I want you to know. We love doing these things. We're not supposed to do them, but we love doing them because we take the bait of the counterfeit love. Here's what I want you to understand. God creates, Satan always counterfeits. God creates something good. Satan counterfeits and says, yeah, but this is far better. And it's not. It's evil. It's dark. It's destructive. And we don't really know it till we're too deep into it. So verses three through eight, here's what it says. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness, covetousness must not be named among you and is proper among the saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is an idolater, an idolater means to worship something other than God to give all of our worth, to, to give all of our life to something that is not God. And it could be a myriad of things. It could be anything. To worship anything to God, to give your life fully and wholly to something besides God. That is what an idolater is. Paul says there's no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God for those people. None. The eternal life we desire 
perfected in God's perfect kingdom forever is not going to be an inheritance that these people receive. Verse six, let no one deceive you with your empty words for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the son of disobedience. All that what I just read are Satan's counterfeit or, or his ways to display this counterfeit love. See, Satan wants us to be a part of these things. He wants us to engage in these things. Now here's, it's very important to know. Satan has been defeated, okay? Jesus dies. Sin is paid for. He's resurrected. God proves it. He vindicates him. That was the act. The defining act in human history was the son of God dying on the cross. Satan is defeated. Jesus says, all power and authority has been given to me. Where? On heaven and on earth. All power. Jesus has all the power. Satan is defeated. And all he is busy doing is doing as much destruction as possible until Jesus returns and puts an end to it all. That's all he's busy doing. He's defeated, but he'd love to destroy your life before Christ comes to destroy him. He would love nothing more than that. And so this is his counterfeit love. He says, oh, you think God gave you that kind of love? Well, let me show you what real love feels like. And you see, because we're sinful, because there's still a part of this sinful nature in our flesh before we're perfected, we want to engage in these things because it feels good. It gives us pleasure. God creates Satan counterfeits. These are a warning. These are warning verses. Our enemy has gone and created a wrong way to love, a wrong way to talk, a wrong way to think, a wrong way to act. But you see, the problem is we don't always think that it's fake. We don't always spot it. Satan counterfeits all that God has created, hoping to trap us in a cycle of sin that would destroy us. And if we were to just read this on the surface, just a, a simple surface level reading, we, we begin to get a little uncomfortable. We don't like reading harsh verses like that. And you want to know why? Because we've done those things. Every one of us. Every one of us are guilty. If you say, well, hold on a minute. Uh, hold on a minute. I, I don't remember being sexually immoral and pure. Well, whatever you thought yesterday made you guilty. Jesus shows up and says, just because you didn't act upon physically what you want to do, if you think it, you're guilty. All of us have failed at these verses. So it should make us uncomfortable. But you see,